Good afternoon. It is Thursday, May 7, 2020. And on today's episode of the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service, we have author Catherine McKenzie. She's the best-selling author of uh, 10 novels. Uh, she's born and raised in Montreal. She graduated from McGill in history and law, and she also practices law. Uh, her latest novel is called I'll Never Tell. And uh, if you check out the reviews at uh, Indigo and Amazon, uh, they all say some version of the following. Uh, there are twists and turns. You'll be trying to figure out the mystery into the last page. And basically, people love the stories. So stay tuned for her talk. We then have more music from Nick Burgess, who will be performing uh, Broadway numbers and uh, doing requests. And we end the show with uh, more music from Corona Serenades. And we'll be hearing... O mio bambino caro, which is very satisfying to read. O mio bambino caro. So that is today's show. Uh, we're going to pass the microphone over to the library so they can introduce our first guest live. Good afternoon, everyone. Catherine McKenzie, our guest today, was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. A graduate of McGill in history and law, Catherine practices law in Montreal. An avid runner and skier, she's the author of numerous bestsellers, including Hidden, Fractured, The Good Liar, and I'll Never Tell. Her works have been translated into, into multiple languages, excuse me, and today she's going to discuss her latest, I'll Never Tell. Here she is, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm holding up my book for those who are watching visually, I'll never tell. Um, it's a murder mystery set at a summer camp. It's about a family of five adult children whose parents die suddenly and the, they inherit the camp, which is a valuable property in the Eastern townships outside of Montreal. And they all gather uh, over Labor Day weekend to read the will and decide what to do with the property. But before they can do that, something happened to a girl 20 years earlier at camp, and they have to solve the mystery of what happened to Amanda before they can move ahead. And when I originally thought of this book, I thought of it as a um, Agatha Christie meets the nest. So a traditional Agatha Christie murder mystery where there's a set group of people who are all often in a remote location, and you know one of them did it. Um, but you don't know who and hopefully until the end. And I, but I mended, blended that with the family saga. So the book is told through seven narrators who the five family members, um, another person who lives on the property, and then the girl, Amanda, from 20 years ago, the night in question. And I was inspired um, to write this book because I'd had a bunch of ideas for quite a long time that had all been mulling in my brain that coalesced. So I, I, I spent many summers at a summer camp in the Eastern Townships. And I always thought that that would be a great setting for a book, but I didn't know what book. Um, and then I wanted to tell a reunion story for a long time. I think that when people reunite with people from the past, they often behave differently than they would in their normal lives. And I wanted to tell a sort of classic Agatha Christie story. And so one day those all merged in my mind and the McAllister family, who's the family at the heart of this book, 
kind of emerged. Uh, it feels like fully formed, though it always seems like that. Once the book is done, I have a rosy glow about the process of writing the book, um, which is not always reflective of reality. But I do feel like this book I actually um, wrote fairly quickly um, and, and fairly easily for me. Um, it was the ninth novel that I've written uh, that's been published. My 10th novel, um, You Can't Catch Me, is um, this is actually the American cover, but it's coming out in Canada in August. Um, and um, I think this was really, I'll never tell though, was really probably the first pure murder mystery that I ever wrote. Um, and I remember when I was writing the scene where the girl is attacked, uh, posting online that I was about to commit my first murder. Um, and that is one of the fun things about being an author is that you do get to um, do things that you wouldn't ordinarily uh, have a chance to do or one hopes not anyway. So I thought that this would be more fun if it was interactive. So there's a bunch of ways that, that we can do that interactive element. If you're on Zoom at the bottom, there's a Q&A function. Um, you can also raise your hand and ask a question. You just need to unmute yourself. Um, and I think that uh, Danielle can facilitate that too. So if people had any questions to ask, perhaps we could um, have a discussion that way. Hi, Catherine. So I'm going to ask the question because I'm from the Eastern Townships. Okay. So why the Eastern Townships? Um, well, I spent, like I said, nine summers at a summer camp on Lake Lovering, which is near uh, Magog in the Eastern Townships. Um, and um, my husband and I also own a property in the townships. So it's just an area that for me has a really deep sense of place. Um, it's one of those places that I, I know what it smells like. I know what it sounds like. I know what the summer feels like there. And I think a lot of um, reviews of the book have mentioned the, the sense of place in this book. And I wanted, um, I've written a lot of books that weren't set anywhere specific, or even if they were, it was vague, but I really wanted to challenge myself to set a book in a place where I could make people imagine exactly where it was. And so um, this place, which is special to me, came to mind. So I have a question. I know that um, for, for younger viewers who are watching who are maybe interested in writing, can you tell us about when you knew this was something you um, wanted to do sort of professionally and also um, as a kid what types of books did you read did you keep a journal like what are the things that writers or you know um, future writers should be doing now well I definitely was a big reader and I think that anybody who's a writer should be a big reader and I was a big reader as a kid I was actually just having a text with my mom and my sister today because she was asked my sister was asking if or the flies was appropriate for an 11 year old which then devolved into a conversation about all the inappropriate books my sister and I read, um, much younger than I think my mom knew. She thought she had pre-read every book that we had read and I, I found that pretty funny. Um, so I think I've always, always, always been a big reader and anybody who has an interest in writing, I think that's important. I was never a journal keeper. Um, it's just not something that works for me. It always felt artificial, but I think if that's something that you enjoy doing, it can definitely help you. Any Anything that gets you writing, so working for a newspaper, working on the yearbook. Um, my undergraduate degree in history, I had to write a lot of papers. I think that really helped. 
Um, and as to whether I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, I, I, I never actually had that like that explicit thought. I always, I wrote growing up, I wrote poetry, um, and, but I never really wrote short stories or attempted a novel. I think a couple of times I would read a book that I really liked, um, and then I'd go think, oh, I'll just like rewrite this book. So I remember that happened with Foucault's Pendulum. Um, and then I realized I'd have to do three years of research and I abandoned that after 15 pages. Um, but it really wasn't until I was in my 30s and already established in my law practice that I had an idea that kind of wouldn't leave me alone that led to me eventually writing what I call my practice novel, which lives in a drawer um, in the room that I'm in right now, actually. And, um, and, and then I took it from there. So I, I didn't actually make a conscious decision until I started trying to find an agent that I was going to write a book that was going to be published. The characters in your stories, how close are they to people that you know? And does that cause uh, conflicts or problems if your friends sort of recognize themselves in your books? Well, I actually try to consciously not write about people that I know. Um, I think starting out, uh, that was just something I, I wanted to make sure to do. And, and now that I've writ written 10, 11 novels, I've kind of would have run out of people to write about anyway. My life's not that interesting. Um, but um, I think sometimes people think that the books are about me or about people that I know. And I actually take, I take that as a compliment. I think that means that I've done my job of making the characters realistic. Um, but I could not have lived out all of the things that I've written about in my books. And, and I think that that idea comes from, and I think, I think it's important to know that you don't have to do that. And, and I'm actually a little bit against doing that, to be honest. Um, I think people here write what you know. That's a common thread that people hear all the time. And, and I think people confuse that with writing about themselves or people that they know. And I don't think that's what write what you know um, means. I think write what you know, to me anyway, means that you imagine situations and then you can imbue your characters with actions and reactions and emotions that maybe you've experienced in an, al in an analogous situation, um, but you don't have to have been in that exact situation. That's sort of the work of, of the author. And I, I think, you know, what I did do here and somebody, not me, came up with this phrase, which I thought was good, which is, I'll never tell is based on a true location, but not true events. So I think that there's other ways of grounding your stories than um, trying to capture somebody that you know um, or an aspect about them. And, and just to build on that, I, you know, I, I have occasionally met somebody in a passing who was completely outrageous. And I've been like, oh, I have to put this person in a book because he couldn't make this up. And, and the few times that I've done that, people have actually said to me that they didn't find those characters to be realistic. And I, I puzzled about that for a long time. I wondered, am I just bad at writing real people? Like, why is that? And I think I finally came to the conclusion that it was because I had not done the work to make them fully fleshed out characters because they were just caricatures of people that I had met in passing. So I think that um, my personal advice is to try to, it's not that hard to make up people, honestly, you know, you can take a characteristic of somebody that you know, but I think it's better to try and people your books with truly fictional characters if you're writing fiction. Yeah, I, I just have another question, and I think uh, somebody may have raised their hand, so we'll get to them. Uh, somebody like Stephen King writes about 
or writes in locations that he's familiar with, and it's not necessarily right. the most you know popular locations in the world. So you're writing about the eastern townships. Have you have you gotten feedback from people from the rest of Canada or from the states who? Do they even notice? Do they care? Or it's just some random place and, and it could be anywhere. And maybe it's interesting to people from Quebec, but really it, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I think um, I think what has been consistent is that everyone who's gone to summer camp has said, who's read the book has said that it reminded them of their summer camp and that they could see their own summer camp in it. So that I had invoked camp and what camp feels like, even if the layout of the camp in the book is different than the layout of their camp. There are a lot of similarities between summer camps. So I've definitely gotten that comment. And then for the people who um, know Wilbekin, which is the camp that it's based on in the townships, or um, some people have read it without realizing that it was Wilbekin and and I actually said, oh, this reminds me so much of Wilbekin. And I'm like, oh, because it is. Um, And then people that I know who read it, who went there, I know it was passed around among the camp staff last year. I think that was an extra added fun tidbit for people who know the actual physical location. But yeah, I think, I don't know about you, but for me as a reader, I like reading about places that I haven't necessarily been. I also like reading books that are not all set in New York City. Um, You know, I think a lot of books get set in a very few big US cities and that can be a limited point of view. Right. Danielle, so we have some people um, on the line. Now, the way it would work, if you're listening on the telephone today, uh, we haven't tried this before, but we could try it now. Um, We could maybe uh, call on you if you have a question. If you don't, that's fine too. Uh, We also have some people who are watching us on Zoom. Um, So maybe we can start with the folks on Zoom. If you are watching on Zoom and you look for the uh, raise hand uh, button on your Zoom app, that'll let us know that you're interested in asking a question. So we'll give folks a chance to do that. Okay. Or you can just um, type one into the Q&A as well at the okay. bottom of the screen. That's fine. Okay. So I think we're going to put somebody on the spot. So the caller whose uh, telephone number ends to. Yes. Oh, hi. Sorry. Hi. Uh, <laughs> um, why, um, why did you pick the same location all the time? I mean, like, did you want to, you didn't want to try some other venue or something? Like some other part of Canada? Oh, I don't, I don't pick the same um, location all the time. It's actually the first book that I've written that's set in the townships. Um, Oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I have set um, books in a bunch of different locations. So I have one Mm -hmm. book that's set in Cincinnati. It's my book, The Good, um, sorry, Fractured. Uh, my book, The Good Liar, is partly set in Chicago and partly set in Montreal. Um, I have other books where it's just called The City. It's not named. Um, it's a northeastern city. You might recognize parts of Montreal in it um, if, if you read it. Uh, I've sometimes made up towns. Um, so I've made up a town called Springfield for my book, Hidden, and I made up another town called Nelson, which was a bad name to use because there is of course a real Nelson in Canada, which pointed out to me after the fact, which of course I knew. So I've, I've really mixed things up. Um, but, and, and, and I've set my books in a bunch of different locations. Oh, okay. Thank you. No problem. Okay. Thanks. So we are going to go to uh, the caller whose telephone number ends three. Do you have a question for Catherine? 
No, I don't because I just came in. I missed the beginning. <laughs> oh well, do you do you Sorry. like uh, do you like uh, murder mystery? Sort I of? do. Well, we have a recommendation for you. Okay. Uh, Catherine McKenzie's book is it gets great reviews. It's available online. You can order it. It'll be shipped to your home. Um, Danielle, do you know if we have copies at the libraries, Hoopla, and other services as eBooks? It's normally available through OverDrive if if you guys have that. We do. Okay, great. Okay. okay, go ahead, caller. Yes, I am here, and I just uh, dial in every day, but I do not read mysteries. It's not my kind of reading, but I'm just interested in hearing about it. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Okay. Um, when did you... When did you, I guess that's a, I guess you've always been interested in all, in all types of books, but what mystery authors growing up sort of influenced you? I read uh, most of Agatha Christie. I read Rex Stout. I read um, uh, Dick Francis, um, Sue Grafton. Those are probably the big the big ones that I read growing up and, and only, and I, I mean, I love all those books, but because my parents were both big mystery readers. And so those were the books that were around my house, um, growing up. So, yeah, but I never actually thought that I was going to write mysteries. I started off writing romantic comedies. And, um, when I got my first book deal, I got, I was very fortunate to have a lunch with Louise Penny, who my husband knew a little bit and who was super generous and giving me a couple of hours of her time. And I thought it was generous at the time. And now when I think back, it, it, it's amazing to me that she took the time to do that. And, um, you know, I was talking to her at the time about my book and of course she writes mysteries and, and she asked also what I'd read. And I said, you know, I mostly read mysteries and, and she was like, well, maybe you'll start writing them. I was like, oh, I don't think so. I don't think my brain works that way. And then fast forward, 10 years later, and I am writing mysteries and suspense. So it comes okay. home to roost. <laughs> For those listening uh, on the phone, you can't see this, but um, we can see in Catherine's, uh, the room that she's uh, broadcasting from, there is a guitar in the corner. Do you play That's guitar? True. I do play guitar. And, and so yeah, talk to me about that. Cause I mean, it's not that they're not connected music and, and writing, but oftentimes people pick one or the other. So how did that happen? Right. Well, interestingly, I also didn't start guitar until I was um, actually before I was writing, but late in my twenties. Um, I was in band in high school and I played the flute, which is like the least cool instrument that there is to play probably. Um, and so I always, I, I liked music and I was good at it and, and, um, at some point in my 20s, I just decided I wanted to learn um, to play guitar and one of my friends did as well. And so we started taking lessons together. Um, and I did that probably for eight or nine years and I got okay. And then I gave it up for a long time and I just restarted now in this uh, pandemic. I have a little bit more time on my hands and um, I've been meaning to take it up again for a while. So I now do Zoom guitar lessons with my guitar teacher. <laughs> where, where, where do you write? Do you, are you the type of person, is this too much of a cliche? You go to Starbucks or well, on that now, but, but in the past or like, where do you, where do you write? Um, I actually write anywhere. Um, 
most of my writing is probably done on my, so I'm in my study and I'm on the nice big computer that I bought to write on, which I almost never use. Um, and I write on my laptop on the couch in my living room often with the TV playing. I found over the years that it's good for me, particularly when I'm doing first draft work, to have something else going on that distracts my um, brain a bit and allows me to, to be a bit freer in my writing and not overthink. Okay, but I still practice law. And um, until recently, I traveled a lot for <laughs> my job um, and also because of writing and, and just for pleasure. And I realized early on that I couldn't be somebody who needed to be in a fixed location to write or I was going to be in trouble. So um, I write on, again, historically, wrote a lot on airplanes, um, on vacation, wherever. Wherever I have my laptop, I can write. So th this, this mystery that you just finished or th that's out now, do you start mm -hmm. with the the ending in your mind, or do you start with like a sort of a scene that you can visualize and you work around it? Or how, how do you, how do you work? So I always think of the um, concept first. So I had this idea of a family who needs to solve a mystery at the summer camp for the property. And so then I start thinking about that um, and where that goes. And if I can't see the end, so I, then I, it's an idea that doesn't work or isn't ready to work for me. So before I started writing the book, I knew, who the victim was, I knew why she had been killed and I knew how she had been killed and by whom. So the who, what, when, where, why, I knew all of that. And I had some idea of a few twists. And then, so I, I spent some time thinking about that. I'm not a, a traditional outliner, so I don't have a written outline. I might have notes on, in, a, in a document. Um, and so I just spent a lot of time thinking about that. And then once those pieces fall into place, usually the voice of one of the characters shows up. Um, and by show up, it sounds a little crazy, but it's, I will literally hear that voice in my head and often with the first line. So the voices show up for me in book form. So the first line of, um, I'll never tell is we only started the lantern ceremony, my second to last year at Camp Macaw. And that is in the voice of Amanda, who's the victim. And that is the first thing that came to me for the book. It's not always stayed the the same, the very first line, but most of my books, the first line that I wrote is the first line of the book. Um, and then I write the book linearly, even like as the reader reads it, even if the book is not told in a linear fashion. Um, so that requires obviously keeping a lot of information in my head, but also keeping notes and having a very valuable first reader in my sister who points out all my mistakes as I'm, as I'm writing. Again, I Oh. Yep. I just, I see there is a question in the Q and A. Yes. Yep. Do you, do you have it in front of you? Yeah. 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 So how does you being a lawyer help you in your writing? Um, so there's a lot of lawyers and ex-lawyers who are writers and I've been asked about that a lot. And I think that um, it does help you for a couple of reasons. I think that uh, particularly if you do litigation, which is what I do, um, it's storytelling. So when you begin a, a lawsuit, it starts with a written document that sets out the facts. And when you're arguing a case to a judge, you're going through the facts and you're framing them and shaping them in a way that is hopefully compelling. So the judge comes to the conclusion that you want. Um, because you know judges are not computers and 
and and things don't end up in court because they're black and white they end up in court because they're gray either the evidence is not totally clear or the law isn't totally clear so i think for sure legal training is good for storytelling purposes and it hones your writing and um, if you're a good legal writer, I think it can help you be a good storyteller. I think also that lawyers tend to be um, driven, you know, type A people who are good about deadlines and getting things done. And we all know lots of people and sometimes we have been those people who are like, oh, I want to write a book someday or I have an idea for a book, but I don't have the time. And I think that lawyers uh, and other people too, but are, are good at actually making the time and finding the time and getting it done. And then once it is done, of taking that sort of extra step of, of getting it published. So I think at least for me, that's how my law practice is, has helped me. Um, and it helps me still because I'm always working on a deadline in my professional life and, and books need deadlines too, or they don't get finished. And so, it's about imposing that sort of same kind of discipline um, and treating it as a job. It's a creative job, but it's a job. Writing novels is a job. So uh, your website is Catherine, that's Catherine with a C, CatherineMcKenzie.com. Where else can yeah. people find you on all the social uh, media? Uh, so I'm on Facebook as Catherine McKenzie author, on Instagram, same thing, and on Twitter at CEMcKenzie1. Thank you so much, Catherine. That was excellent. And I'm sure uh, everyone either tuning in by computer or by phone um, knows a little bit more about writing mysteries now. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Catherine. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Stay home. <laughs> the following is brought to you by Recreation CSL and is an excerpt from Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. Welcome back to Broadway Happy Hour. I'm so glad you're all here with me tonight. Marie-Claude, my cousin Marie-Claude, said, can we do this gorgeous song from Lion King? And I love this one. So this is, can you feel the love tonight? From Marie-Claude. And everyone knows. Do you feel that love at home? I hope you do. There's a calm surrender to the rush of death.
tunes from West Side Story.
songs at the end that got have warmed up and we can't do some uh, a West Side Story without doing Somewhere so why don't we just why don't we do it because it's the most gorgeous isn't it everyone I hope you're singing at home um, and that you're having a great time I'm so glad that you're here with me there's a place for us and quiet and open air wait for us somewhere there's a time for us someday a time for us time together with time to spare time to But it's very, very, very funny. Um, and the, you know, like on sheet music, there's always like the tempo marking at the top. And the tempo marking for Diva's Lament says mid 70s Barbra Streisand ballad, which I think is the funniest, most, I guess, indicative tempo that you could put for a song, right? So here's our mid 70s Barbra Streisand ballad from uh, Spamalot. It's very funny, it's humorous thing. Whatever happened to my part? was exciting at the start Now we're halfway through Act 2 And I've had nothing yet to do I've been off stage for far too long It's ages since I even had a song This is one unhappy diva The producers have deceived her There is nothing I can sing of from my stuck in second gear up to here with frustration and with fears I've no Grammy no rewards, I've no Tony Awards, I'm constantly replaced by Britney Spears Britney Spears Whatever happened to my show I was a hit 
shopping for a bush Well, they can kiss my tush It seems to me they've really lost the plot Whatever happened to my I'll call my agent, damn it Whatever happened to my Not yours, not yours Mine for uh, Suddenly Seymour. It's, it's, it's gonna be a little tricky for me to do this duet all by myself, so hopefully everyone at home is gonna be doing like the, the other parts with me. So Suddenly Seymour from Little Schlop. concludes this segment from Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess. Please tune in tomorrow and every day this week to hear more excerpts from Broadway Happy Hour presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts and brought to you by the Parks and Recreation Department of Cote St. Luke.
Well, that is the show for today. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening online. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.